G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Well, we're only about six weeks out from the coronation of King Charles III and his wife Camilla, King and Queen of the United Kingdom and the other Commonwealth realms. Yes, that includes us here in Australia. Well, the coronation is scheduled for the 6th of May at Westminster Abbey. It's a Christian religious event that presents a political theological vision of the state as a union of people under God. The ritual bestows a crown and symbolizes royal or imperial power. There'll be among the rituals oaths, anointing and enthronement. The Archbishop of the Church of England, Justin Welby, will lead the service. Now, our special guest today is across lots of the detail. The Reverend Dr. Mark Jury. He's a pastor, an academic. He writes on the connection between faith and culture, freedom of religion, persecuted minorities and discipling new Christians. Mark Jury is the founding director of the Institute for Spiritual Awareness. Mark, a special welcome back to 2020. It's great to be with you, Neil. Yeah. Hey, Mark, let's start with this coronation, a practice that reflects biblical coronations. So you've got coronations of the likes of King Saul and King David and King Solomon, Old Testament coronations, and there's, got a, there's some similarities here, aren't there? Yeah, there's some deep connections that um, deliberately, for, for more than a thousand years, have tied the uh, English coronation to um, the biblical events. So, uh, for example, um, for since I think the at least the thirteenth century, at the very point of anointing the the monarch with oil, um, the passage is read from one Kings, where it says that Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet they uh, anointed King Solomon uh, with oil. So that is read at the same time. So the understanding of the um, I- the investiture, the appointment of the monarch is is definitely shaped by um, by the Bible. And even more than that, it's very interesting. Um, King Charles has arranged for the anointing oil that's going to be used for his anointing to be um, prepared, made in Jerusalem from olives from the Mount of Olives. <laughs> and uh, so it's actually oil from the very, probably the very place uh, where the oil came from for Solomon's anointing uh, so many thousands of years ago. So that's a, um, a, clo- a connection that is tying um, this ceremony to the uh, ceremonies in Jerusalem. And also it's traditional at the start of the coronation service to sing Psalm 122. I was glad when they said unto me, we'll go into the house of the Lord. And it speaks about standing in the gates of Jerusalem. So it's as if 
it's as if the, the the anointing of the of the king in Westminster Abbey, it's as if it's taking place in the temple in Jerusalem, as if it was Solomon's anointing. So yeah, there's a very a very strong connection, and that has been maintained for uh, more than a thousand years in in the coronation of the of the monarchs of England. I mean, who knows how mainstream secular media will be reporting on the pageantry of the coronation, but. In some sense here, it won't be hidden on this program, but we're talking about the biggest church service of the 21st century coming up, aren't we? This is something that is really a religious event. It's not something that somehow or other is disguised, is it, Mark? It's uh, it's pretty significant. Yeah, it's very much, uh, it's actually a communion service, and it's um, the order of services under the responsibility of the Archbishop of Canterbury, and um, he has a... Uh, you know, very strong, clear say in how that's all put together. There are many other stakeholders as well, but he's definitely presiding at the service and and leading the service. Um, And because it's a communion service, it includes the normal Anglican elements in a communion service. There is um, uh, prayers of confession. There's readings from the scripture. Uh, People will say the creed. There'll be um, the consecration prayers for communion. Um, there's blessing, uh, also the people present, um, there's the procession and the recession. So these are standard elements in a communion service. You mentioned, you know, will the secular media acknowledge or pick up on these elements? It's a very good question. I was reading Hello magazine and that lots of magazines, Vogue and others are, are have information about the coronation. It's a sort of big social event of the year. Um, but it was really interesting that Hello Magazine completely ignores the Christian elements in the service. So it just it just mentions the things that are somehow relevant to what happens to the king, uh, but it doesn't mention communion, doesn't mention reading from scripture, it doesn't it doesn't really mention that this is a worship, a service of worship and prayer, and um, it has some very strong theological content that runs all the way through the service and that's absolutely clear and uh, it, it was you know we had a similar experience i think with the funeral service for queen elizabeth ii that this was a very very christian service and and this one will be this one will be as well interesting when you draw attention to the fact of the coronation being a communion service and when we use that communion and depending on what sort of uh, Christian cultural background, uh, those listening to our conversation today come from, uh, they'll be thinking, oh, well, we do communion this way and they do communion that way. But there is something here that takes us right back to the Last Supper and what we read about in the Scriptures, uh, kingship in that context. How do you reflect on how the the coronation uh, might reflect on the Last Supper and that really direct connection to Jesus the King? There's no doubt that this service, in a number of different ways, acknowledges the sovereignty of Jesus Christ and his centrality for law and order in the nations. Um, The orb that is given to King Charles has a cross on the top of it, and it's a symbol of the world and that Christ is Lord of all, of all the world. One of the secular sites says that it's a symbol that... um, uh, that Jesus rules the Christian world, but no, that's not what it's a symbol of. It's a symbol that Jesus rules the whole world. And um, there are a number of elements uh, in the prayers, in the vows that are made, 
that constantly reference the sovereignty of Christ. And um, it's very significant, I think, that the very first thing the monarch does after being invested and enthroned and, you know, receiving all that regalia, the very first thing the monarch does is take communion and, and kneel down. And so, I mean, what that means, communion service means, is that it's a it's a participation in Christ, that life comes from being one with Jesus and sharing in his death and in his life. And so that is a very powerful symbol that uh, the king is, as the monarch of England and, and the other nations as well, is um, connected to and draws strength from the, the life of Christ. There are, there are other references to the, the life of Jesus throughout the service. For example, um, when um, in, in Queen Elizabeth's uh, service, when she was anointed, the prayers make reference to the anointing of Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit when he was baptized. And the prayer is just as Jesus was, um, the, the dove of the Holy Spirit came upon uh, Jesus, so may the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit, come upon um, the uh, the monarch as well. And interestingly, one of the scepters that's given to the monarch has a, a dove on the top and a, and a cross, so that this is a symbol of the receiving of the Holy Spirit for for office, which is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So, yeah, this is an absolutely profoundly Christian service. One of the striking things about the service is that. Um, the king undertakes, as his mother did before him, to um, defend the faith, to 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 protect the God. The pro it's interesting. This ceremony, um, the, the the king, the queen, undertook to protect the proclamation or the the, the sharing of the gospel, uh, to uphold the laws of God and the profession of the gospel. Uh, which is really striking. I mean, that's a heavy burden to lay upon the monarch, <laughs> yeah, a serious uh, commitment that's made to be an advocate for the the, the profession of the gospel in England. And um, as I was reading that, I thought, well, actually, I think the Church of England is struggling in some ways <laughs> in, in professing the gospel. And you have this secularization happening and questions about whether um, the church should be established as part of the state. Uh, so this is a, an interesting backdrop to uh, to this ancient uh, ritual that, that dates back a thousand years. I think we'll come back to that because that is just so important, isn't it? Because uh, when we talk about Christ being Lord of the world, uh, you mentioned the orb and the cross, and you said the whole world, not just the Christian world, and Undoubtedly, there'll be commentators who'll interpret that in different ways. But when you actually say this is Christ, Lord of the whole world, that becomes confronting, doesn't it? And as you also were uh, are talking through some things here about how things might be perceived or uh, we might all be wondering whether there'll be some sort of watering down and we're aware that Charles might want to include some other dimensions in his coronation and whether he's got a choice to do that or not, I'm not sure. But uh, but this, this thought, it is confronting, isn't it, that Christ is Lord of the whole world and that's going to be proclaimed at the coronation? Yes, I think so. It's um, It's a very strong claim. And it's at the heart of the English monarchy and has been for a thousand years that the sovereignty, the sovereignty of the monarch uh, actually comes from the sovereignty of Christ, that it's that it's um, 
that it's Jesus, it's God who appoints um, appoints rulers. It's it's really interesting. Part of the ceremony, the um, the monarch is given a sword, and there's a quotation from Romans 13, which says that the this is a passage where Paul says that it's important to respect and honor the the emperor or the secular rulers because they are appointed by God to wield the sword for the common good, to punish evil and to protect what is right. Um, but it's very, it's interesting that in giving that sword to the monarch, it's a ceremonial sword. Um, I don't think it's ever been used to hurt anybody. Um, in giving that sword to the monarch, uh, this, the, the, the words that are used are that um, sovereignty and rule comes from God. And it's under God that and the, the whole validity of the English monarchy is built on this principle that that sovereignty comes from from God, comes from the Lord Jesus. And the the ruler, the monarch, the reason why you would pray God save the king or God save the queen is because the ruler is meant to rule on behalf of God or with the authority of God. And that includes advancing the gospel. It includes advancing the kingdom of God. It doesn't just include the way the service has traditionally been put together. It doesn't just include secular affairs. It includes the whole deal of, of um, upholding the law of God. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how some of those elements are, are reflected in the new service. This, the new service is much shorter than the old service, so some things will need to go. I think the arbiter of that traditional theology of the service will definitely be the Archbishop of Canterbury. So he'll uh, he'll be working with that. Now, um, you, you've mentioned King Charles. He's um, he's previously said that he'd like to be defender of faiths, not just defender of the faith. I think in recent times, um, surrounding his mother's funeral and and you know t uh, taking on this this role, he's he's not. He's not been emphasising that sort of perspective so much. He's really been um, taking on the role of being the head of the Church of England and and professing Christian faith. So that's come through more strongly in in recent times. So I'd be curious to know more about his own personal journey of faith and how he how he understands all that. He, certainly, his mother had a very very clear um, Christian faith. Um, it was interesting in in her in her coronation. Um, for the first time, a Bible was given to the to the monarch, as and and she undertook to to rule in accordance with the scriptures. Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether that presentation of of the Word of God continues in in Charles' ordination service as well. It was an innovation in the 1950s, so they might not continue it. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Our special guest is the Reverend Dr. Mark Jury, pastor and academic. He's the founding director of the Institute for Spiritual Awareness. We're talking about the coronation of King Charles III and Queen Camilla. You might have your own thought to offer. 1-800-316-316. We'll take some calls in just a few moments, but Mark, come back to this commissioning service and... We've said this is the biggest church service happening in the 21st century. Uh, this is a very Christian religious service. And 
If we reflect on what happened with Queen Elizabeth, who really was just a wonderful, bright, shining light, one who was a serious defender of Christian faith, can we relate her defense of Christian faith right back to the coronation and the oaths and the anointing that happened on that day? What are your thoughts here? Yeah, so the the um, the anointing is a, basically a prayer for God to endow the person with the Holy Spirit for their for their role, and um, and there's no doubt in my mind that uh, Elizabeth went into that ceremony with that desire and intention that God would equip her and and actually change her for office and anoint her for office. This is the concept of anointing that you see in in um, in the Bible for, for David, for example, empowerment and. I think there's lots of evidence that it was a successful coronation in that sense, that she did receive grace from God to fulfill and keep her promises. Um, and I, I believe she she entered into those those promises with full intent and 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 purpose, and God honored honored her prayers. So absolutely, I'd say that was a very successful a spiritual uh, event in her life and in the in the life of the nation. Some might say, yes, but Elizabeth was a young woman and Charles, you might even say, an older man. And does a leopard change its spots? Uh, Is it easy to change direction? Do you think this anointing, this transaction between God and monarch actually is so strong that it can actually reshape a whole attitude to life? That's a good question. I believe it can. Um, and a lot depends on uh, Charles' own personal intent as he goes into that. I mean, certainly the Archbishop of Canterbury and the bishops and many people will be praying for him that this will be indeed the case, that God will give him grace and endow him for office, that his robes that he's putting on will be matched by spiritual uh, provision, that all those regalia that's given to him will be matched by spiritual provision as well. Um, I have hopes that he will uh, take seriously the weight of the oaths that he's making. You know, if you if you were to go through this ceremony disbelieving it, you're sort of tempting God, like like to to make all these promises in the name of Christ and declare His sovereignty and and then not to believe a word of it. That's that's pretty disturbing. And um, so I'd be con- really concerned for him if he wasn't being sincere. And I believe he is. Everything I've seen about him suggests to me that he's he is seeking to take up his mother's mantle and to continue in the in the English tradition of because within the within the concept of the throne in England it is it is the divine element the religious element that makes it legitimate and without that it's not legitimate there's nothing left you know it's um, and they may as well become a republic so um, that's um, yeah, that's such a deep part of the service. It's reflected in almost every part of it. So I, I do hope and I pray that he he enters into that and that God blesses him and that he he does become wise and godly in his old age, even if there's some aspects of his early life that were quite chaotic and not really in line with God's ways. We're taking calls. 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call. Coral is in Cooma in New South Wales. Hi, Coral. Welcome. Hello, yes. Carol, what are your thoughts? Look, I'd, like, look, I'd like to ask uh, Dr. Drury, look, the thing, uh, he might have already covered this, but this is my question. 
We can all be praying for Prince Charles, King Charles, um, and probably some of us have had varying experiences where things, some things you pray and they work out so nicely, and some things you pray. I've got one thing, and it it was a total disaster, but I meant the prayer, and and um, we've got the whole country where people have had some of experiences, you know, they might have um, come from Germany and lived next to someone from England in and in Australia and they were actually war enemies at one time. And I'm just wondering if there's some way that I or all of us can pray for this coronation so that it's it's not all on Prince Charles or anything, it's... We all pray for it, and I don't know how to do that well, and that's the question. Coral, what a wonderful question that is. Mark, uh, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, there's two things to pray for. One is that um, God will uh, consecrate him good, you know, that he will be endowed with the Holy Spirit, that he'll have an encounter with God in this service. Um, It does happen in church sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) The second thing I'd be praying for is that this very clear demonstration, this service that's a clear demonstration of the sovereignty of Christ and of the of the Christian faith will touch people's hearts in the UK, that the hollowing out of the spiritual life of uh, citizens of the Commonwealth Nations be challenged, as, as I believe the Queen's funeral was challenged, that, that people will have a longing, awaken to have a longing for relationship with God and that their hearts will be touched by the truth that's in in this service. Um, And also that the noise of the media, which is so much focusing on trivial things like where did the diamonds come from and um, uh, that the noise of the media will not drown out the clear uh, voice of the gospel in this service. Pray for that. Pray that there be a witness to the nations. While I've got Coral on the line here, Mark, there's a certain sense in which uh, we might be thinking of an anointing service, a communion service, as a personal encounter for the new king. But there is, in some sense here, because we've been talking about, you know, holding up that orb, uh, that Christ is Lord of the whole world, that there might be in a global encounter with God. Is there a potential here uh, for some spiritual encounter that comes with everyone who uh, casts their eyes onto the coverage of the coronation? Yes, I, I hope so, that people will actually hear the words and not just kind of be dazzled by the sights and the pageantry and, you know, the, the jewels and everything, that people will actually hear the substance of what's of what's happening in this service because it is pretty substantial and, um, and life-changing, really, for people. So um, it's not a popular view now in the West that... that, that God is sovereign over world over the, over political affairs. Um, it's in fact it's detested and rejected. And uh, this this ceremony is a kind of a, a a voice from the past of of the heritage, the, the spiritual heritage of England. And pray that it would touch people's hearts and cause them to have give them pause for thought and to take stock really of their lives and what's happening around them in the world. 
Carl, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Not long out from news. Let's squeeze in another call. Franco is in Adelaide. Hi, Franco. Welcome along. G'day. How you going? I don't know if you remember me, but <clears throat> I rang in when the Queen died um, that early morning. And you asked me the question, do you think King Charles will make a good king? Okay. And... Um, and I said to you, that's a good question. And I, I went away and thought about it. And I thought that if he follows um, the Queen King, because uh, the Queen was a devoted Christian. I mean, she really, um, you could tell that she really loved God. Now, if King Charles follows in the footsteps, he'll have his God defend him and, and help him. And, and I think, you know, that God will fight his battles. If he doesn't follow that uh, the same way as the Queen, he, I think he's going to have all sorts of trouble, you know. But, um, yeah. yeah. So, did you understand that? Hope you I did. do. Yeah, Franco, uh, yeah. a great comment. And we might have to wait until after news to get any response from our special guest, Dr. Mark Dury. But, uh, you know, that whole thought, will Charles make a good king? And uh, is the coronation a part of what creates a good king? Uh, we'll we'll talk about that after the news. But, Franco, thank you so much for your call. We took a call from Franco, who was asking around that sort of question, do you think that Charles will make a good king? And a question lots have been asking ever since the death of his mother, Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, what are your thoughts here around Charles and being a good king? What does a good king even look like, I wonder? Well, uh, according to the coronation service, a good king is someone who uh, advances the profession of the gospel and maintains the Protestant reform doctrine of the Church of England and and helps uh, promote justice and mercy in the in the nation. Um, uh, I, I think Charles has such a weight on his shoulders in terms of the the thousand year history of this ritual and the coronation. I think. The basic format of this service goes back to King Edgar's coronation in AD 973. Um, so there's a, there's a weight of prayer and of um, precedent there, and I think he that will impact him. He'll take that quite seriously. I mean, he spent his whole life preparing for this moment, so I don't think he'll go through it sort of lightly or cynically. Um, quite the contrary. Whether his personal faith will be enough to really enable him to live up to his promises. I'm, I'm not, not sure. I pray it would. Uh, I think we need to give him the benefit of the doubt and see um, see how he progresses in his in his journey. And and I, I mean, I pray that the service will actually be um, will, will lift him. That, that, that the prayers of the Archbishop and others will be answered, and that he will be given grace by God to to do this role that he's undertaking. Lots of our focus on Charles as King Charles III, but what about Camilla in the mix? Uh, we're used to seeing, perhaps if we're thinking about what used to seeing as with Queen Elizabeth II, I mean the coronation of a queen. Uh, what about Camilla in the mix here? Because she's going to be Queen Camilla, isn't she? Does she have to take the same sorts of uh, oaths and affirmations, uh, commitment to her role as well. Any thoughts here, Mark? I think she is anointed and there will be uh, some regalia, some symbols of office given to her as well. 
Um, but the, fundamentally, she is committing to serve King Charles, you know, as a, as a subject. Um, so she doesn't have any authority in her own right. So um, she is part of the service. And so th there is an expectation there that she has faith as well, that she's making a commitment. And she will take communion together with, they'll take communion together as a couple. Um, so, yeah, there, there is a, it's an important role, I think. And, I mean, so far, I think she's been impressive as a person. She's been, um, you know, dignified and doing a, the role of the Queen Concert well. Um, uh, we'll see what her long-term influence and uh, contribution to Charles's reign will be. Mark, where the rubber hits the road for ordinary people, and whether those are ordinary people in the UK, ordinary people here in Australia, or any of the realms of the Commonwealth, uh, there's a certain sense in which Christianity appears to have taken a few hits uh, over recent decades. And these days, there's something of a cancel culture that operates. People are opposed to Christian ideas on a lot of different dimensions. Any thoughts here for real people, where the rubber hits the road, and the significance of a service that we're about to experience? Yes, there are dozens of legal cases running uh, and or have been running in recent years in, in, the, in the UK where Christians have um, been discriminated against in the workplace, lost their jobs because they've expressed Christian beliefs, um, even chaplains, uh, nurses, doctors, others have been sacked. Um, there's no doubt that there, it's no doubt that there's an increasingly hostile environment towards Christians in the UK, and um, and that's disturbing. And uh, many battles are having to be fought uh, on behalf of people. But there, those Christians who've come, in, you know, under the pressure, under the pump, uh, are paying a, a big price for that for those battles. There've been a whole series of street preachers who've been arrested by the police, and then. Usually they are acquitted, but only after a court process and, and a real legal battle in the court. So there is, a, I feel, a sense of the tension between what's actually happening in schools and in um, medical institutions and in, in broader society in England and in the UK versus the, the king's undertaking, a probable undertaking to advance, to, to protect the profession of the gospel and the law of God. Um, so, yeah, I think England is kind of in a crisis point in terms of how it's going to respond to the Christian faith. Will, will the Christian church continue to be established? Um, one of the complications in the UK is because of the establishment of the church, it's actually the prime minister who appoints technically uh, through the queen or the king, um, the bishops and archbishops. So, um, you know, and there have been calls from members of parliament to compel clergy to do certain things, maybe against their conscience. So there's there's a big challenge, uh, you know, facing Christianity in, in England. And, and this this event, I think, in a very poignant way, kind of chat will challenge, uh, could potentially challenge the nation on, on, on this on this drift away from Christianity. And when you've got the influence coming from the state uh, to the church, as you've just described, uh, is that creating something of a crisis within the Church of England when there's this leaning on you pressure to 
change the way that you might even see as a foundation biblical understanding of how life works. Uh, is this something that's fueling something of a crisis in the Church of England? Yeah, definitely. There's there's pressure towards division in the Church of England, which is happening in other parts of the Anglican Communion in the West. Uh, a trigger point is attitudes to marriage. Um, the, the Anglican prayer book defines marriage as the union of a man and a woman. Um, and I think a majority of the bishops have asked for a service of blessing for same-sex marriage, but they're not changing the definition of marriage. It's very messy, and numbers of um, of clergy are very distressed about that. So the, the, the Church of England is in, is in crisis over doctrine and over really um, the authority of the Bible and, and how that's interpreted in the in the present time. So this is the backdrop, the kind of looming split um, of theological divide that's that's affected many denominations around the West um, is is part of the backdrop of this uh, this event, this coronation event. It raises a huge question, and uh, I'll throw you in the deep end on this one here, Mark. But is there potential? for the coronation to even act as a reset for the political theological relationship to function as it ought? Uh, that could be a loaded question, but uh, thoughts here on, on whether there is something there that might be played out in the tensions between church and state that a coronation actually brings to the surface? I think the coronation is a reminder of the heritage that is um, a strongly Christian nation with a vision of uh, sovereignty under the rule of God and under the law of the Bible, under the under the word of God as well. So it's a reminder of um, a thousand years of submission to the word of God in in principle. You know, in in the in the law in the in the text of the coronation services. Um, as opposed to the trend in, 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 in our modern society towards a secular relegation of Christian faith to the area of personal devotion uh, or, um, and not really a public in, an engagement with public life. It's a pushing back of faith into the private space. So I think the coronation is a challenge to that. One of the questions is what will people see? You know, Hello Magazine will just see the king being crowned, you know. They won't see those prayers. They'll be blind to them. And and so different people will see different things in this service. Um, so the, its potential to confront, to reset, to challenge will depend a bit on what people are willing to let pass their eyes and what they're willing to absorb of the service. But I think for some it will it will be deeply encouraging. Um, but let's let's see. It's going to be fascinating, I think, to, to see the impact on the nation. And perhaps what the mainstream media may report as to what they want people to know about this sort of political theological relationship, because uh, isn't it an interesting one that it is the church that crowns the king? And, of course, God into the mix here. Let's come to... Uh, this and we started to mention this a little earlier on uh, some of the things that happen the anointing and uh, the anointing is an anointing with oil and you mentioned that the anointing oil has been sourced from olive trees on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem and so there's this connection back to biblical times come back to this anointing for a few moments because anointing is something that we are used to in church 
the big wide world who likes to avoid church doesn't know much about anointing. And in fact, as I understand it, in the anointing of Queen Elizabeth, uh, that was done in a more private ceremony. This is very important, though, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, this is the actual um, peak of the whole service, I think, in terms of the, the, the what spiritually is the spiritual transaction that's taking place in the service. The absolute peak of it is the anointing. In, in the Old Testament, kings were um, appointed through anointing, and they were empowered by God as a result of that um, uh, endowment with the Holy Spirit. So the, the pouring out of oil, which is done with a special spoon <laughs> upon the king, uh, is a symbol of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, of the presence of God upon them for their ministry and as king and the service as king or as queen, uh, and that is the really the peak of the peak event. And it, it, certainly in Queen Elizabeth's time, there was a canopy over over, and it was a sort of a private, almost done intimately. It's interesting. The secular commentators call this the most sacred part of the service, and what does that mean? You know. Is taking communion not as sacred? Uh, it doesn't really make sense. The whole service is a sacred act, um, but it is the peak. And then, what once the once the, um, the 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 king has been anointed, he then is invested with his symbols: the scepter, the orb, the crown, the enthronement. But all of that is just the the fleshing out of the reality of being appointed by God uh, and anointed by God. So. Uh, we call it a coronation service, but actually it would be more accurate to call it not a crowning service, but an anointing service. And, uh, and in, uh, it's a charism. It's a, it's a, it's a sacrament, really, that, that, that through this physical use of the world, there's an expectation of a divine endowment and empowerment for ministry. So, yeah, that is, the, that is really the peak of the service. And then the rest of it is the fulfillment, the, the fleshing out of that, the giving of the symbols that express it. Um, and that's really helpful to keep in mind about the meaning of this service and how it's been preserved. This is this basic idea has been preserved over a thousand years, which is really quite remarkable. Mark, do you think that anointing will be done in a private ceremony again? Or do you think that in the 21st century, when we're aware of all of these things, that this ought to be televised as well? That's a mystery, isn't it? I, I suspect they might um, have a canopy, but maybe not. But they maybe allow the cameras to see what's happening. Um, that would be interesting. Um, uh, well, yeah, the multi-million dollar question, that one. We'll see what the Archbishop of Canterbury and, and the King work out between them. I, I think um, it is a moment when I think the, the, the monarch is dressed very simply in white and... and yeah, it's it's interesting. I think it shouldn't be intimate. I think it should be open. People should see the anointing because it is the, in a sense, it's the it's the core event in the whole service, and uh, it should be visible. Well, let's let let's see how it all pans out. And humility before God. And I imagine that when you are down to you know the basic, uh, you know, getting away, put the regalia aside. Uh, this is humility before God, but it also has a humility before the people because uh, the king then becomes a servant of the Most High God, but also a servant to the people. Any thoughts here on that humility, the exercise of what happens in that anointing ceremony? Yes, I think that's that's a good observation. The, the, the monarch comes in wearing a royal robe, 
but they take that off uh, for the anointing. And so that and they don't have any of the proud symbols of office at the anointing. They are just a human being before their maker, um, dressed simply and plainly. Uh, so that's I think that's quite moving. They're anointed uh, with with the grace of God to do this office before they receive these symbols of these incredible biggest diamonds in the world and all this, all that hoo-ha, you know, with those um, various bits and pieces of clothing and so on that they're given. Um, and I think that's very that's very powerful. And I, and I think for that reason, I hope we do get to see that anointing because it's this is just a human being. This is just someone like you and me who is um, before God, seeking God's help to do what God has called them to do. And I hope that I hope that comes out powerfully. And while they're doing that, while they're being anointed with this oil, all the other the dukes and the and the the the, the lords, spiritual and temporal, that are gathered there, their bishops, archbishops, and and so on, they're all wearing their regalia, like everyone's d done up to the nines with all, all the the symbols of their powerful offices. But the monarch is just basically. Uh, stripped down to a, a simple robe and and it's at that point that they're anointed in the simplicity of their vulnerability and and then the 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 um yeah. so i think that's that's very to see it because i i think it it does signify the sovereignty and the greatness of god and the and the vulnerability and humility of the human person and as you say, there's symbolism in all of this, and it's called a sacred ritual. But to the secularist, uh, the person who wants to leave God out of the equation, all of this is just pure symbolism, and some people have a reaction to it. For the Christian, though, uh, this is really a supernatural dimension. This is something that we ought to, as Christian believers, recognize as something that God has done down through history with leaders. Uh, there's something supernatural that would be happening in that time. Uh, any thoughts here for the way that Christians ought to sort of set aside some secular thoughts about just symbols and recognize that there's a deeper spiritual supernaturalism that happens in that moment, Mark? Yeah, so the secular world would be full of articles about all the different items and where the jewels came from and how long they existed and who made them and everything. And um, But at the heart of it is a spiritual transaction. We shouldn't be surprised, as Nicky Gumbel once said, that it would happen in church. And I've done many baptisms and, and, and weddings and so on over the years, and at each time I have prayed that God would be at work in a, in, a, in a profound and genuine way in the lives of those people, and I look for that grace to be um, outpoured upon them. And, and I think we should be praying that this um, ceremony will be a, an encounter for, for King Charles with his maker, and that he will be empowered, that, that the grace... And the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit that was upon his mother would also be upon him for this office and that this service will be effective in that respect and make a difference. That that all the trappings, the the guilt and the jewels and all that will, will actually fade away. And even for him as a person, that he'll be deeply moved and touched, um, that there'll be an encounter with the living God that will change him and shape him. That would be my prayer, that God would be present and powerfully so. Uh, symbolized by the oil and um, in a way that will equip and change this man for the 
very challenging role that he's been asked to take on. Does it come close to home, Mark? Uh, because, you know, lots of our listeners today, they'll be members of a local church. Uh, there's a minister, a leader. Uh, oftentimes, when those leaders are set apart for their leadership, they go through what we might even call a commissioning service. And uh, there's something of a... Um, a reflection of what we perhaps are about to see in the coronation that flows through into the leadership, whether it be uh, in church leadership or leaders politically in our civic society. Uh, and this servanthood uh, idea that ought to flow through into uh, a whole nation or the realms of the Commonwealth. Is there something here as a significant trickle-down flow-on effect that will be a message to the whole world? Yeah, I... One thing I like to say sometimes about God is that God has a habit of showing up in human affairs. He turns up. God turns up among us. And and people are changed. And so when we commission a leader in a church, we should expect God to ordain them good, you know, to show up and to and to equip them and challenge them and convert them and enable them for that for that role that they're taking on. And same with everything that we do. We should we should live in this spiritual world with a firm belief that God engages with it and comes among us. And we should see an event like this ceremony, which many might regard as just a, a lot of tradition and and today sort of not very meaningful tradition. We should take a different perspective that it's actually an opportunity for the divine to intersect with the human and for God to be at work in, in the life of uh, this man and, and, and the nation that he has a, a duty of care for, uh, and indeed the nations. Um, so yes, we should pray with expectation and hope that God will be at work, that the prayers will not be empty, that they'll be said with faith, and that God will bless King Charles for the difficult task that he's taking on. And I think that the coronation, in a sense, is a, is a message to all of us who believe in Christ that that what we do matters and, and how we honour God with our lives and our dedication and our consecration of ourselves makes a difference in the world. Um, because I think in, 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 in a way, everyone who follows Jesus is called at some point to be kneeling there before him and to be anointed for a purpose that, that God has for, for us in our lives. And so this is, you know, his story is in a way all our stories in the sense that we're all called to be anointed ones. That's what the word Christian means, someone who's anointed. Uh, Christ is an anointed one. And so there's a, there's a message, there's a parable there for all of us, I believe. Wonderful insights today, Mark Jury. And for listeners who want to connect with you, let me give a website, markjury.com. That's D-U-R-I-E, markjury.com. And you'll be able to connect with the Reverend Dr. Mark Jury, a pastor, academic, a writer on the connection between faith and culture. He writes on a lot of issues, freedom of religion, persecuted minorities, and discipling new Christians. He is the founding director of the Institute for Spiritual Awareness. He's also a fellow at the Middle East Forum and a senior research fellow of the Arthur Jeffries Centre for the Study of Islam at the Melbourne School of Theology. So your connecting point for Dr. Mark Jury is markjury.com. Mark, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. It's been a pleasure, Neil. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.